from Jeremiah 15, 10 through 21. Hear the word of the Lord. Woe is me, my mother, that you bore me, a man of strife and contention to the whole land. I have not lent, nor have I borrowed, yet all of them curse me. The Lord said, Have I not sent you free for their good? Have I not pleaded for you before the enemy in the time of trouble and in the time of distress? Can one break iron, iron from the north, and bronze? Your wealth and treasures I will give as spoil without price for all your sins throughout all your territory. I will make you serve your enemies in a land that you do not know, for in my anger a fire is kindled that shall burn forever. O Lord, you know, remember me and visit me, and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. In your forbearance, take me not away. Know that for your sake I bear reproach. Your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. I did not sit in the company of revelers, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone, because your hand was upon me, for you had filled me with indignation. Why is my pain unceasing, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Will you be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? Therefore, thus says the Lord, If you return, I will restore you, and you shall stand before me. If you utter what is precious and not what is worthless, you shall be as my mouth. They shall turn to you, but you shall not turn to them. And I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail over you. For I am with you to save you and deliver you. I will deliver you out of the hand of the wicked and redeem you from the grasp of the ruthless. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Good morning, family. Uh, It's great to be with you. And if you don't know me, uh, my name is Gabe Coyle. I'm the campus pastor here. And we are just in a chatty mood. It's been fun to kind of like just see people walking around, talking with each other. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about something together, Uh, something that really, whether you're um, optimistic or pessimistic, whether you're someone who's religious or skeptical, whether you're zealous Whether you were raised and born in the Western Hemisphere, the Eastern Hemisphere, the Global South, whether you're white, black, brown, Asian, Native American, whether you're Jewish, Christian, Hindu, Buddhist, Muslim, I think I've covered quite a few folks. No matter what, everyone, everyone prays. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Everybody, everybody prays. And this is this weird kind of universal human experience, prayer. Thomas Merton, a Trappist monk who lived in the Abbey of Gethsemane in Kentucky, which I've stayed there before, um, says this about prayer. Prayer is an expression of who we are. We're living in completeness. We're a gap, an emptiness that calls for fulfillment. And really, you don't see this happen, and this isn't as, it's never more true than when you feel like Jeremiah feels this morning. It's never more true than when you feel hopeless. When something happens in life and you feel like you're disillusioned, when your dreams feel like they're, they've come crumbling down, or, or just broadly when life, this task that God's given you just feels way too big for you. It's at that moment, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, 
Everyone prays. But we don't all pray the same, do we? I mean, you, you probably have known some folks. I know, I've known some folks. It seems as if they've, they've mastered this thing called prayer. There's something about them in the way in which that they've been disciplined in the art. They've plumbed the depths of prayer such that when they go into prayer, when they come out, they seem like they are more sustained, more energized, more, more focused than you've ever seen them before. Somehow prayer, when they engage it, when they come out, they, they, they're able to walk through the greatest difficulties of life. Have you known anybody like that in your life? I've known a few. I think of folks like Dr. John Perkins, who experienced untold racism in the South and then apathy in the North, and it led him to start an organization called CCDA, the Christian Community Development Association, that has spurred on so many Christians to be thoughtful in their faith and work interconnection in their communities, providing jobs and caring for folks who have experienced systemic injustice. I think of my mom, who experienced abandonment, rejection, and was time and again just overwhelmed on how to raise us kids. I mean, just to name a couple. And what we're going to discover this morning is that Jeremiah is also one of those people. One of those folks who have, who's mastered prayer, and we have a lot to learn from him this morning. If you're new with us over the past few weeks, we've been in a series on the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet some 2,500 years ago who was called by God to do this task that was way too big for him, to speak God's word first to God's people and then to the surrounding kingdoms and the surrounding nation. And, and what we've discovered over the past few weeks is you don't have to be called to be a prophet to feel like your life is overwhelming. Because the truth is, whenever God calls us to himself, he calls each and every one of us to a life, a task that is way too big for us. A task and a life full of hardship, suffering, pain. And what Jeremiah shows us this morning that we heard read is that if you don't get prayer, if we don't master this thing called prayer, if we don't engage it the way that he's teaching us to, we're never going to make it through this audacious, larger-than-life task that God's called each and every one of us to. And the funny thing is, is I, I think prayer doesn't look like what we often expect it to. So I want to ask this question. What image comes to your mind when you think of prayer? Is it one of like serenity? Maybe there's hands together, hands folded. Like one thing every time before we go to bed and pray with my kids, it's like open, shut them, open, shut them, give a little clap. And then they have to like put their hands together so that they're not like wiggling around, right? Like it's this idea that you got to sit still. For me growing up, you know, I saw this picture in our kitchen almost every morning. Maybe you've seen this picture before. It's a pretty well-known photograph um, taken in 1918 by Eric Enstrom titled Grace. And you see a gentleman, very stoic, situated, calm, cool, collected, there sitting next to his breakfast. And everyone I saw pray kind of reinforced this image in my mind growing up of what prayer looked like. So when I came and I started reading about Jesus praying, well, of course he prayed like this. When I thought about Moses praying, of course he prayed like this. When I started thinking about the apostles or the prophets or the psalmists, then they were all calm, cool, and collected, hands folded. This is what it looked like to talk with God. And then I really got to know some of the characters in scripture. I especially got to know Jeremiah and when you come to Jeremiah, he's a man called by God, but very discouraged with life. 
and disillusioned with God at this moment in chapter 15. I mean, here at the beginning of chapter 15, Jeremiah, his hopes for whatever he had for God's calling on his life are down in the depths, dashed over and over and over against the rocks of rejection, isolation, abandonment, and ridicule. I mean, it gets so bad. I mean, can you imagine? This is what Jeremiah says. Can you imagine being so low that you wished you never existed? Even your, your, that means cashing in your best memories, those childhood daydreams, the greatest laugh, laughs you've ever had, the greatest jokes, those, those tears of joy, not just the tears of sadness, but those moments of true elation and fulfillment and satisfaction, trading all that in. Because he's such in a dark place at this moment that never existing is better and losing all of that is better than where he is today. Later in Jeremiah 20, he even curses the day he was born. And we, this makes sense because in Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5, God says, I've called you to where you are right now in the womb. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5. When you are in the womb, I've called you to this. And God says to Jeremiah amidst this despair, I want you to keep doing what you're doing. I want you to keep saying my message. I want you to keep up, keep up with this task that I've called you to that feels way too big for you. So how does Jeremiah respond? Is he calm? Is he cool? Is he collected? Fingers, you know, fingers intertwined? No. Instead, what we find is Jeremiah gets real with God. And his prayer life is anything but pretty. Look with me here at our passage. How he starts addressing God in verse 15. He begins by spewing this raw emotion. It's this naked fear, isolation, hurt, and anger. We hear his fears screaming out of verse 15 where he basically says, if you get to the Hebrew, he's basically saying, God, you got me into this. Now you got to get me out. And you better not be too patient. Get me out (laughs) he's straight up about the sting of loneliness in verses 16 through 17 god i chose you and your word i had these great memories where i was consuming your word and and you spoke to me and i spoke to the people but now i feel all alone and i know i can't go back to where i was i know that's not the answer but where i am right now is miserable at the beginning of verse 18 jeremiah opens up about his hurt God, the mistreatment, the ridicule, the failure of this preaching you've called me to, it feels like an open wound, he says, right? These nerve endings are being agitated. It's, that's, that's how his soul feels. And then Jeremiah ends his prayer in verse 18 with anger toward God. Listen to the accusation. He's basically saying, so God, why did you lie to me? You're nothing but a mirage. Back in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 14, he talked about God as this ever-flowing stream. And what does he say here in our passage? He says, I once preached that you were an ever-flowing stream, basically, but I was wrong. The more I run after you, the further it feels like you get away. The exact words he says, will you be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? He's doubting the very character of God here. Wrestling with this in the midst of his heart. And then he says, amen. There's like, there's not really any highlight in the midst of this prayer at first. It feels less serene and more like a protest. Less Mother Teresa and more Malcolm X. I mean, it's, it's intense what's going on here. 
Jeremiah, he talks with God in this unfiltered, raw way. And in one sense, every one of us, I think, when you hear this and you think, Jeremiah is talking with God this way. Like, there's something admirable there. Like, you think, what courage, what intimacy he must have with God that he feels the freedom to talk this way. And, and there's a space where we say, man, what would it look like for me to have that kind of intimacy and courage in my conversation with God? And then simultaneously, there's this part that says, well, that could never be me because it feels a bit in, uh, disrespectful, doesn't it? Like, when I first read it, I was like, wow, this is amazing. But simultaneously, Jeremiah, do you know who you're talking to, bro? Like, why don't you settle it down just a little bit? Like, this is God. What, what, what gives you the right? And we can feel like he's in the wrong. But the reality is Jeremiah isn't wrong in what he's doing. It feels foreign because I think a lot of our images don't match up with the way in which Jeremiah is wrestling with God here. But you and I, we need to learn to let loose like Jeremiah. It's so astonishing to hear such honest talk with God. Like there's no pretense. There's no religiosity. It's just raw emotion that he brings to the table. And then to remember, don't miss this, to remember we are hearing God's word through Jeremiah's prayer. There's not like God's word and then there's this like extra little snippet of Jeremiah's prayer. We are hearing God's word to us through Jeremiah's prayer where Jeremiah is modeling Real talk, honest, raw talk with God. And no matter what you're going through, what, no matter how messy, how frustrating, how emotional it may be, don't miss this. God wants you to be real with him. We can't miss that. So often we feel like we have all these rote prayers that we need to be praying or our, our conversation with God should look this way. But let me ask you this morning, when was the last time you were real with God? I mean, have you ever been real, this real with God? Where Jeremiah calls, calls God out and is wrestling with the deepest of questions and brings them to God. I mean, so much of our emotions anymore today are either pretended or repressed. They're pretended because we feel like we need to act or say certain things and put on a particular persona to garner attention or approval, especially when it comes with God. Or we repress them because we're so ashamed that, that no one can truly understand where I'm coming from, especially a holy God. And so we end up being riddled with all of this hidden shame because we feel like we're pretending emotion or we're repressing emotion and it's eating us alive as human beings. Not so with Jeremiah here. When he comes talking to God, he's real all the way down to his emotions. And when emotion is real, it's embodied, isn't it? Like when you are in a genuine relationship with someone, when you're hurt, tears flow. When you're angry, your, your blood begins to boil, no matter how stoic you are or Swedish or whatever. You know, like, um, it's, it's, like the, it's like the, you know, the perfect example of like the, the Swedish have been known for their stoicism. We all lose our breath when we're afraid, like genuinely afraid. We freeze. Like there is bodily responses when, when we genuinely feel something and we genuinely feel something with someone that we deeply love and call real. We're embodied creatures. And to live and relate to others is to do so with our bodies. And Jeremiah, he gives God every bit of it here. 
It's hard to imagine him doing this very stoically, sitting by his table, or then communicating this to his scribe, Baruch. I mean, have you ever prayed like this? With everything you've got, God, I'm not holding anything back, okay? All of my pain, my frustration, my anger, these things I'm wrestling with, these broader questions I have about you because I've been wrestling with this life. I mean, Jeremiah has been in this calling for some 30 years now. Over and over again, the ridicule, the beatings, the rejection, enough is enough. And he says, finally, just lets his pain out. Have you ever done that with God, where you just finally, you let it all out before him? When was the last time you were real with God? I want you to think about it this way. Um, Do you have any relationships where you're not transparent with how you feel? How does that usually go? (laughs) Not very good, right? We know that it's not healthy to just keep to ourselves. And listen, there may even be people in your life who know how you feel when you don't say a word. But when you tell them how you feel and what you're wrestling with, doesn't the relationship go deeper? You've invited them in. You've been transparent with them. And the intimacy has the potential to go to a new level. Our relationship with God is so much more but never less than a friendship like this. And yes, God already knows what you're wrestling with, but he wants to hear it from you. We hear this affirmation right here with Jeremiah. God doesn't want eloquence. He doesn't want performance. He wants you, your doubts, your fears, your anger, your pain. When was the last time you were real with God, that you treated him as a real God, as a real person? Because he can handle it. Nothing you're going to tell him is going to surprise him. But he wants to hear it from you. And then after you've been real with God, then we listen to him. Isn't that what we see here in kind of this flow? Jeremiah laid it all out. God patiently listened, was very attentive, and then God speaks. If we're real with God, he will be real with us. You see, God picks up the conversation by basically saying, Jeremiah, thank you for being honest with me. Um, I hope you can appreciate the honesty I'm about to bring to you. And this is what he says. He says, my plans haven't changed. I haven't lied to you. But in verse 19, he says, if you return to me, I'll restore you. If you return to me, I'll restore you. I heard this story about an old couple and they were driving in this old pickup truck. It was one of those pickup trucks that had like the one seat that goes all the way across, you know, and he's sitting behind the steering wheel and she's sitting next to the window and they're driving along and this young couple whips around them and it's a similar pickup truck with the one, you know, the one uh, full seat and they're sitting snuggled up next to each other. And then the older, you know, wife of some 50 years looks over at her husband and says, "Ah, why aren't we like that anymore? To which the old husband looks over at her and says, I haven't moved. (laughs) And in many ways, like, (laughs) I love that. I I think I heard that from some like old guy when I was like 12. Anyway, I knew it would come to a sermon sometime. Listen, (laughs) The reality is God, in a very loving way, is telling Jeremiah, I haven't moved. I'm right here. My plans haven't changed for you. My goals for you haven't changed. What I've promised you hasn't changed. But Jeremiah, you've started slowly drifting away from me. And I can understand. And listen, when God calls Jeremiah to return, he is not rebuking Jeremiah for being honest in his prayer. He's not like condemning or calling Jeremiah to repent of his unfiltered prayer with him. 
But God is rebuking Jeremiah for letting the voice of the people be louder than God's voice in his life. Jeremiah, do you, just stand, do you stand before me or do you stand before the people? Because it can't be both. We see this in the remainder of verse 19. If you return, I'll restore and you'll stand before me. Don't let them get to you, Jeremiah. I'm still with you. Keep doing what I've called you to do. It's like every healthy relationship. Jeremiah, he gets real with God and then God is real with him. And it raises an important question. It's after you've had this real talk with God, who are you listening to after you let loose? Do you argue with God and then let him argue back with you? Or is, is prayer for you just an emotional release? That's not what it's meant to be either. Prayer isn't a place just to vomit your emotion. It's a place to encounter God. Who are you listening to after you let loose? Because if you want real prayer, you have to pray to a God who can interrupt you, who can challenge you. I mean, praying to God isn't like praying to Amazon's Alexa. Have you seen like all of these things lately where people are kind of vying for Amazon's second headquarters? Um, They'll ask Alexa, hey, Alexa, you know, which city should Amazon's headquarters be in? And of course, what does Alexa say? It's always the city of the mayor that's asking it. That's not what prayer is like. We don't come like dictating to God what the answers should be. And maybe if we go one step further, when we come in prayer, we, also, we often are looking for answers, which isn't always bad. But when it's the ultimate thing and the only thing, then it'll destroy us. We can't come just looking for answers in prayer. What God is wanting when we come to prayer is to look for him. He's longing for intimacy so that he can even show us what the right answers are because we trust him to the depths. You know, I've heard prayer described as a long conversation over a dinner out with a friend. And God, he's not the server coming, asking us what, what we want, and then complaining when he doesn't bring it right on time so we can lower his tip. No, 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 no. God is the friend sitting across the table, the person who's listening to you, who sees you, who knows you, who hears the, hears the pain in your voice, who can see the pain in your eyes. But then he's also the friend who speaks. He's also the friend who challenges And when he challenges us, you can see the love in his eyes and you deeply appreciate it when he does challenge you because you know he does it from the place of deep love and care, like all the best friendships do. Do you pray like God can interrupt you? I mean, who are you listening to after you let loose? I was at a conference a few years back now and I remember one of the speakers was talking about how Often we unload on God and then we just get busy with other things. We don't stop to listen and let God speak to us, engage our hearts, interrupt us. And so she she told us to be quiet, to sit still, (laughs) some 3,000 of us, and, and just listen. Is there something that God is seeking to bring to mind? Is there something that he's laying on your heart? Is there something that God's wanting to say to you this morning? What if God's tugging on your heart? Have you just paused long enough to listen? And so I sat there, and then I realized, you know what, I'm just actually just trying to avoid this. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where it feels awkward, and you're just like, okay, this will be over soon, this will be over soon. And I remember she said, stop telling yourself this will be over soon. And I was like, hey, (laughs) you know, this just got real. Um, And so 
I said, fine, um, whatever, I'll give this a try. And I sat there and I said, God, I'm, I'm listening. Okay, what, whatever, whatever you want to say, if, you, if you're going to say something, if you're going to work in my heart, if you're going to bring something to mind, and I was super doubtful. I was like, whatever, you know, fine, um, I'll play along. And I sat there and I just was quiet. And I remember, it wasn't that I heard something or saw something, but somehow I heard without hearing, lay it down, lay it down, lay it down, I've got this. And I just remember weeping and weeping and weeping. I'd been, it was early on in the, the, the years of the downtown campus, and I just remember just all the weight. It was like 40-some of us were still trying to find a space, wrestling through all of these questions. You know, God, what are we doing? Are we doing this right? And, you know, I would come and act like I was praying, but really I was trying to be God and carry it all rather than casting my cares at his feet. And in that moment, he just challenged me in such a comforting way. <laughs> it was a way I needed. Like, it was hard, but it was right. And I felt loved. I was like, yes, take it, take it, take it. I have been holding on to this. And that's what God, God when, we, when we listen, when we're really seeking him, when we're real with God, he'll be real with us. And it's never in the same way twice, and rarely it's in the way you expect. He often does this where he surprises us. So don't expect he's going to do the same thing that you've heard in somebody else's story. But are you, are you being real with God in prayer because you believe he's a real God? And then are you letting him be real with you? Who are you listening to after you let loose with him? Because when God interrupts, he comes not just to challenge, not just to rebuke, not even just to listen, but to remind us over and over and over again that he loves us, that he's with us, and he's for us. Look at here at the end of God's response to Jeremiah. After all this raw, unfiltered prayer, this anger that he brings to God, look at what God says back to Jeremiah, verse 20. And I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail over you, for I am with you. I'm still with you, Jeremiah. To save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. I will deliver you out of the hand of the wicked and redeem you from the grasp of the ruthless. Does that sound familiar to anyone? If you've been following along in this series, this is the exact same promise that God made to Jeremiah right at the beginning of his calling in Jeremiah 1, verses 18 and 19. Look at the correlation. This isn't a new promise. God tells, tells Jeremiah, let me say it again. I'm with you. I know you feel like you're in over your head, but I've got you. They won't prevail over you. I'm here to deliver you. It's still true. And no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, we need to hear God promise his love again and again and again. And he's with us and he's for us. Do you remember as a child the first time you disappointed your parents? <laughs> if you're a firstborn, you definitely remember that. Um, maybe a different birth order you might not. But, um, but, there, but there are points like that first time you've disappointed your parents. If they were good parents, they sat you down and they said again, look, this was wrong, but I love you. I love you. That won't change. I mean, so often lovers talk about like the first time they said, I love you. It's like, oh, I remember we were on the steps of this church and the first time you said, and that's great. But the first time you say, I love you is nothing compared to the 15th time after you've hurt them, 
after maybe you've lied to them, broken them, disappointed them, and they say again, after that, knowing you more deeply, knowing your brokenness more deeply, I still love you. I'm still with you. I'm not going anywhere. I'm for you. After all that, God, do you still love me? And he's giving a resounding yes to Jeremiah. Do you know one of the most important factors of being able to kind of sustain and walk through a life that just feels way too big for us? It's not having enough money that you can buy your way out of any situation. It's not having enough talent that you can kind of maneuver your way around the most difficult obstacles. At the end of the day, whether win, lose, or tie, the most important thing is knowing that God is ready to say, I love you and I'm with you over and over and over again. Because when you can stand secure in his love, then nothing can shake you, nothing. You can be utterly real with him and know that he can take it. And that kind of security, being able to trust that God really means what he says, requires we first be real with him in prayer because that's what he's longing for. He doesn't want the fake you or the repressed you. He wants the real you. Vulnerable prayer, holding nothing back. And then we listen. And when God interrupts our lives, when he challenges us, he does so out of love. And it, it means he doesn't just say things we want to hear. If our, God, if our God challenges us, that means he doesn't just say things we want to hear. And so when he does say, I love you, over and over and over again, we know he means it. Because he doesn't just say things to make us feel good. He says them when they're true. And that makes his love you that much richer. So that when we come to the words of Jesus in the gospel account of John, when we read, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him won't perish but will have everlasting life. We can trust him. We can really trust him. And all this is available to those who approach God in prayer holding nothing back, letting God approach them, interrupt them, challenge them, and also say, I love you. And we're going to spend some time doing that this morning. So often we talk about doing these things and say, now this week, go do them. But together we're going to have that awkward moment, okay? We're going to have some moments of silence and prayer. And let me walk you through how this is going to look. We're going to provide a space for you to be real with God and then we're all going to be quiet and listen. Um, after a period of silence, we're going to hear God say, I love you again in the Lord's Supper. That's going to be the final affirmation as the gospel is proclaimed to our senses of taste, touch, and smell. Here's how it'll go. I'm going to begin with prayer. And then I'm going to read Jeremiah's prayer. And then we're going to be silent for a few moments for you to be real with God. To just lay it before him. Silently in the quietness of your heart. I know that's a little bit more like the picture up there, but if we all went a little, you know, loud, it might get crazy, and that's, that's fine, I guess. But, um, and who knows what God's going to bring to mind? Who knows what's going to pour out of your heart as, as you're in the midst of that prayer? But be real with him. Commit to be real with him. Then I'm going to read God's response to Jeremiah, and then we're going to have another period of silence. And I want you to just be ready for whatever God has, whether he's bringing certain aspects of that passage back to mind, whether he whispers something to you, whatever that might mean. And then we're going to end with the words of the institution of the Lord's Supper. And everyone who's a follower of Jesus is welcome to come to the table and partake in remembrance together in our groups of four to six like we normally do. So reading, 
prayer, reading, silence, communion. Okay? So with that, let me pray for us. Good and gracious God, we, we far too often pretend our emotions or we repress our emotions. Help us to be real with you in our prayer, to remind, and to, to remind ourselves that you are real. Help us to lay out whatever is going on in our hearts and minds before you, to pray like Jeremiah. And so... We pray along with Jeremiah these words. Oh Lord, you know, remember me and visit me and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. In your forbearance, take me not away. Know that for your sake, I bear reproach. Your words were found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. I didn't sit in the company of revelers, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone because your hand was upon me, for you had filled me with indignation. So why is my pain unceasing, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Will you be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? Lay silently before God your hearts, your pains, your frustrations here now. Therefore, thus says the Lord, if you return, I will restore you and you shall stand before me. If you utter what is precious and not what is worthless, you shall be as my mouth. They shall turn to you, but you shall not turn to them. And I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze. 
They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail over you. For I am with you to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. I will deliver you out of the hand of the wicked and redeem you from the grasp of the ruthless. Speak afresh to our hearts, O Lord. Let us remember the promise of the gospel again in the Lord's Supper. For the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whenever you're ready, please come. 